The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Today on the WSJ Media Mix Podcast, Forbes CEO Mike Perlis talks about how his company fights ad blocking, how shifting consumer habits are changing media, and how he wants to expand the Forbes name globally. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix Podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix Podcast. I'm Stephen Perlberg, alongside my colleague, as always, Jack Marshall. How are you, Jack? I'm good, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Uh, so we, we have a really exciting episode today. Once again, um, we've got Mike Perlis, the Forbes CEO, is joining us in the studio. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. We're, we're, uh, we're excited to talk to you. Um, we thought it would be a good place to start just because it seems like you sit at the nexus of a really big event that's happening right now in media, which is uh, Gawker against Peter Thiel. Uh-huh. Um, so you, uh, before your time at Forbes, you were an executive at Ziff Davis. Which is uh, a company that has emerged, correct? Right? Am I, am I, yeah, a long time ago. Long time ago. ago. Yeah. So we just thought it was it was interesting sure. because they are um, emerging as a potential buyer of Gawker, right. and then Forbes is the company that broke the news that uh, Peter Thiel, the Silicon Valley billionaire, was was secretly funding this legal vendetta against uh, Gawker Media, which of course is like Forbes, a digital publisher. So we thought uh, that you might have just an interesting take. We were sort of interested to see what what you think about. Um, that case, everyone's sort of talking about it right now. Well, it's it's fascinating, obviously, um, and you know, you introduced the whole thing without using the words Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh my course, gosh! Yeah, of course. You know, God. that's the probably the most salacious and and magnetic piece of of all of it. And who would think? You know. Uh, Peter Thiel and Hulk Hogan, you know, they're just it's not, an odd tag not team. usually mentioned in the, same, in the same sentence. In the same sentence, I think you know what I'd say about it. Frankly, is that uh, uh, I'm thrilled um, that our role in it is as uh, the first, um, you know, substantial media outlet to carry the story, to break the story, and um, Ryan Mack, uh, our correspondent in. Uh, California uh, in the San Francisco Bureau um, really broke the story and everyone has been following his lead. Um, It's been, I think that people are fascinated uh, with media and for us it becomes, you know, media on media, which we're always a little careful about. Um, We're doing it right here, you know, Wall Street (laughs) Journal and and Forbes. Um, I I think as you put it, Stephen, at the as you posed the question, we're at so many different inflection points in media, in journalism, in the number of voices that are out there carrying the news. You know, it it, it used to be, and I'm of an age where you know I used to watch the network news when I was a kid and a, and a young adult, and everyone would gather around the TV at six thirty, and and Walter Cronkite or. Peter Jennings or somebody, Dan Rather, would tell you, you know, what happened today. One voice broadcasting to billions of people with with authority. We have moved so far from there. There are so many people creating content in so many different ways that is distributed in so many different ways that is the furthest thing from one way. You know, when we begin a conversation like Ryan did on the, the, the Peter Thiel 
Gawker story, um, he just gets the conversation started. Um, people comment, people share, uh, other news outlets pick up the story, and it becomes the story of the story becomes the story. But it does point to how different um, the world of journalism and content is uh, today. It's a great, it's a, it's a great example um, of it. I'm not, I don't take sides in the, the actual um, dispute. I think there are lots of uh, you know, lawyers and pontificators who will deal with that. We choose in this case to reflect on, on what's happened and try to do it um, using um, the best tools of journalism that we, we know how. And, you know, when a story like this comes along, it's great, it's great traffic for us. So we really like it. So, yeah, maybe just talk about, I mean, you kind of touched on it there, sort of the inflection point. Um, obviously, you know, a lot is changing in the world of media. Forbes, you know, obviously a big print title, um, sort of shifting to gi- digital. So maybe just talk about that sure. a little. Um, I, I think I'm right in saying that your print audience is, is still growing in addition to your digital audience. But well, how do you kind of think about that? We're, I think we're um, a very interesting case uh, over the last five or six years with my partner, uh, Louis Dvorkin, who's our chief product officer, we've really reinvented Forbes. Um, our, uh, we're going to be 100 years old in 2017, and we really operate in many ways like a, like a, more like a, an innovative startup than we do an old traditional uh, title. But we have the benefit in everything we do of 100% brand recognition. Everybody knows and has an opinion, and I think mostly good, about what Forbes represents from a, a journalism and from a content standpoint. And six years ago, we went about the business of continuing to honor our print tradition because our print, our circulation dynamics and the loyalty of our audience is very strong, but we knew we had to use that as the front door of our brand and that we could build a much, much bigger audience in digital. So we continued to focus on the iconic elements of what we do in the magazine. And, uh, you know, uh, Jack, as you pointed out, um, our syn- the syndicated research um, MRI shows that our audience is now at 6.8 million for Forbes magazine which remarkably is the highest it's ever been in our 98-year, 99-year history. But while we continue to focus on print, we built um, a new platform uh, for content creation. Uh, We call it our Forbes Contributor Platform. And in addition to 75 full-time journalists, highly skilled uh, people who work at Forbes, uh, many for, for a long time, some new, In addition, uh, we've built uh, a platform that allows contributors using the same very elegant tools that our full-time people use to post their content. Um, They um, are carefully vetted. Uh, They bring um, highly specialized passions and uh, and expertise um, that we couldn't employ full-time. We vet them and we give them the tools as contributors to post their content on Forbes.com. To what extent do you think kind of giving the keys to a big contributor network? I mean, this this model was talked about, it's been talked about a lot. Um, Huffington Post employed a similar sort of thing, uh, getting bloggers of all sorts to contribute. 
does that dilute the Forbes brand, right? Because if I go to Forbes.com now, I'm going to see some things written by Ryan Mack, maybe the, you know, mm-hmm. some or big, by me. Or by you. There's big <laughs> stories that I that yeah. I know and I can trust. But then I might see a ton of other stories that I are from a contributor who I'm not quite sure uh, the the process that this went through. Did this well, go I through the same editorial process? I have special sort of insight into this. I, I, I was, I'm a recovering venture capitalist for the 10 years um, uh, before joining uh, Forbes. I was a partner at SoftBank Capital, and we were the first investors in Huffington Post. BuzzFeed was born of Huffington Post. Buddy Media, Associated Content, BeliefNet were all um, businesses that I helped start. And at Huffington Post, it was a great business model, as you described. We went after bloggers from everywhere. In fact, the model was, um, I think what we said was, uh, if you've got something to say, say it on the Huffington Post. And it was uh, the Wild West and built an enormous audience. And it was really interesting and very exciting. What we've done at Forbes, it's similar but a very different cousin to, to that in that uh, we're not taking content from everyone. We carefully vet. We have 1,800 contributors now, all of whom have the opportunity to, to earn um, uh, for the content that they create, and all of whom are carefully vetted by our channel editors and who report through our channel editors. We, To the degree that allowing them to post their own content is giving them the keys to the kingdom, you're correct. But the most important decision-making that we do around this model, and it's what's allowed us to go from 15 million unique visitors five years ago to, to 45 or 50 million unique visitors today, um, the important decisions are made when we choose our contributors and we contract, uh, we contract with them. So, so where do marketers and advertisers kind of fit into that? Because I know that you've mm-hmm. um, sort of opened opened it up for them to sort of contribute as well. We have. Um, working through the business side of the company and in a very um, transparent and highly identified way, we've also made those same tools available to uh, to marketers who want to express thought leadership, who pay for the opportunity to find um, – an audience for not comparative pricing, not my car is better than their car, or my oil company is more is more righteous than than than, than another, but for for thought leadership around big issues that are part of their knowledge set that can help define them from a branding um, perspective. So, so is they that ha- something they, that you kind of help them do? Or? We 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 do help them get started. Um, with our biggest, we call it brand voice, and with our biggest brand voice customer uh, customers uh, and marketing partners, they've actually built uh, teams that create content specifically curated to um, to populate their their brand voice positions on For- Forbes.com. The interesting part of this is, and I'd say it was tr- it's true of the question you made about the comment you made about. People go to Forbes.com. Maybe they don't know who they're getting a, a veteran. Right. First of all, our staff are identified as staff, and our contributors are identified as right, contributors. But Jack and I know that. Yeah, as well know. as anyone that nobody reads yeah, bylines anyway. Maybe so. folks. Maybe <laughs> folks. Maybe the folks listening to this don't. But and also, there's a you know there are dashboards and metrics, and it's very sophisticated and and, and I think smart. But at the core of our process is our belief that if we do the right vetting. Uh, and we choose the right people, that our audience is smart 
and that our readers really understand what good content is and what, you know, casual amateur content is. They make the same assessment when they see a brand voice piece. If they want to read it and it's well written and it's thought provoking, uh, they'll read it. And in the best instances, you know, we've been working, for instance, with SAP and with Oracle and with NetApp. There's some companies, particularly in the high tech space, who are who've done a really good job at dealing with the big issues of the cloud and data management and security. Um, and when they write a great piece. Uh, the audience rewards them with great traffic. You know, it's they 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 don't go there, they don't share it, they don't socialize it if it's not really not really good. So, you know, we've got our veteran reporters, we've got you know expert, passionate contributors, and we have marketers. I think we've done we've done over a hundred. We've worked with over a hundred partners now on our in our brand voice project. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll have more with Mike Perlis after this. Stick around. I'm Veronica Dagger. Do you want to know how the rich invest, spend, and protect their money? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. We're here with uh, Mike Perlis, Forbes Media CEO. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you about, Mike, uh, an issue that Forbes has been um, fairly vocal about over the past couple of years, I guess, is uh, ad blocking, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that we talk about a lot on the podcast recently for, for obvious reasons. Um, so I know that you guys are sort of trying a, a bunch of different things to sort of combat and, and mitigate the impact of ad mm-hmm. blocking. Um, so, yeah, maybe just give us uh, an update. What, what do you, what do you I, find? I will. I, I have to note the irony of coming back from a commercial break and asking <laughs> about, about, ad, about <laughs> ad blocking. But, you know, at the heart of all of this is our, uh, you know, we have all have business models. You guys do, we do, and in in many cases, advertising uh, pays the way for you know the kind of great reporting that you guys do and that we that, that that we try to do. I'm not the expert on the technology elements of of ad blocking. Our chief revenue officer and chief pr- product guy, um, Louis Dvorkin and Mark Mark, Mark Howard are are really, I think, at the forefront. Of each technology innovation and opportunity that we address, um, and media today is a series of disruptions. Whether it's whether it's uh, viewability, where it's the uh, the rapid um, uh, migration f- uh, to to mobile, uh, ad blocking is one of the most recent. And we've tried to, um, as we do in all things, to be a leader and an experimenter, to not sit back and. Um, watch what happens around us. And it's pretty complicated what we've done, but in essence, we've experimented with um, turning off um, Forbes.com for people who are using ad blockers, but giving them the opportunity, if they sign up with us and give us the, you know information about who they are and where they're coming from, we will give them an ad light experience. We'll, they've put their hand up, and we'll experiment with giving them um, fewer, fewer ads that come, in, come into their view. And a lot of people have taken us up on it. Is that more valuable for you? I mean, is it from a business standpoint, you could, you could potentially see how having someone's email address or, or their personal information uh, might make them more valuable uh, 
more, more valuable data for you than just showing them advertising. Well, obviously, we'd always protect their confidentiality. It would be you know data for us, not not personal um, personal information uh, to use. We also we do the same thing if people are coming to us from Facebook or from Google. Inherently, they come with greater identification. And, and that qualifies them for us. It allows us for a lighter ad experience to make that ad more valuable for the advertiser. You mean because some data is passed yeah. from Facebook to, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Again, not personal information, sure. but da- general, general data. So I, I think the big answer I'd have for you on ad blocking is that just as content and content distribution and how we're going to find our audience uh, moving forward is changing dramatically and, and rapidly. Um, the business model landscape for media is, is frankly, one disruption after another. You know, I've been in the media business for a long time, and there have always been a lot of challenges that we try to turn to opportunities, but everything is happening at a very accelerated pace, and uh, these days, and I think uh, we're going to continue to see enhancements and embellishments that uh, appear as challenges that we can then turn, we can try to turn into opportunities. W- one other thing on, that I think is important on ad blocking is that um, uh, 35% now of our ad revenue is coming from advertisers who um, participate in our Brand Voice program that we were talking about just a minute ago. And Brand Voice is uh, rendered uh, directly um, to the content site as content. It, it, so it's it, unidentifiable, it's, essentially, yeah, by, by ad blocking. Right, technology. and because it isn't really adver- – it, it's, it's, uh, content, it's content from marketers. And that helps us in terms of how it renders to mobile, which is really – important for us, um, but it also um, isn't affected by, by ad by blockers. Ad and we've, we've purposely moved in that direction. Um, we, you know, our mix of advertising now is, um, is heavily weighted towards um, brand voice, which is growing 50, 60 percent a year, um, and programmatic and direct sold um, uh, um, um, digital ads, um, which has been the bread and butter of, me- of digital media for the last um, 10 years, you know, that's, get- that's getting smaller and getting squeezed by programmatic and by, by um, uh, native advertising, in our case, Brand Voice. I was hoping also you could give us a little bit of an update. I know um, people, of course, know the Forbes name, but the company was sold yeah. a few years ago. Uh, I think two, two or three years ago. Now. It's uh, almost two years. Almost ago. two years. Um, um, so, ne- so now you have a uh, a new owner, foreign owner, um, and uh, I'm curious th- to what extent the Forbes family is still involved. I know that there was some legal back and forth between uh, the two parties uh, after the sale, uh, as recently as a, mm-hmm. a few months ago. So, um, I was hoping you kind of walk us through what the what the status of of the acquisition or the legal, the legal battle that ensued afterwards? Yeah, it call it a legal battle would be overstatement, legal skirmish, <laughs> um, but legal anything, you know, it carries some weight. The majority uh, ownership of the company was, was sold to uh, Integrated Whale, which is a group of Hong Kong-based investors. Um, the family continues to own a, sm- a small minority stake. And there was a, there's been a squabble over a few, a, a very small percentage of um, the um, 
payouts over time that the family is going to receive. Um, all the payments that Integrated Whale was supposed to make, uh, they've made. There's some issues about whether some others should be accelerated or not. They haven't had any impact on on management and on, on running the company. Their shareholder issues, they take place kind of above it. I suppose I'm the one who deals with more of it than anyone else. The big opportunity, however, that came as a result, and it was our desire of, of bringing new investors in, uh, was certainly to cr- create an exit for the, cr- the the previous owners, but to to build a global a global investment um, footprint for Forbes. To your point, that takes advantage of the the name. Uh, I've preached since joining the company that our mission is to build the business of Forbes to be as big as the brand, and the brand is enormous. By comparison, the business is is small, and in addition to continuing to grow our media business, both in print and digital and in all of the ways that um, a media company builds business models, delivers content, and monetizes them. We're also spending an enormous amount of time uh, and having some su- success working on non-media branded products. So that be events or, or uh, things like that? Uh, events, for sure, but those are a little bit more course de rigueur for, me- for, for media uh, companies. We're expanding our events worldwide. Uh, we now publish uh, Forbes magazine and have uh, emerging Forbes.com sites in 36 countries around the world. We had 10 uh, just four and a half, five years ago. But we're building um, uh, uh, businesses in uh, Forbes-branded education, uh, travel, um, financial services, and real estate. And my vision as we move forward is for a company that is still rooted in media, defines who it is and what it brand, its brand means in media, um, but uh, whose business model extends into non-media spaces so we can take some of the pressure off of, of advertising and traditional uh, media revenues and enjoy um, profitability based on our brand attributes in, in areas, as I said, like travel and financial services and real estate and education. And we have projects that are beginning and that are, are, are going to be launched in the next 12 to 18 months in each of those categories. I think it, it's interesting because you, know, you hear a lot of publishers talking about ways to find sort of outside revenue, right? right. I mean, it's it's uh, tough to be in the in the advertising business um, right now. Do you do you think that? I mean, do you foresee the you know, the the you mentioned the content marketing arm is. Thirty-five percent, roughly, mm-hmm. of your ad revenue. You've got these other businesses. It's thirty-five uh, percent comes from advertisers oh, because- who are participating in that program. Not to slice it too finely. <laughs> do you do you foresee um, advertising becoming a less and less important part of your business, uh, or? I, I, I would answer, answer the question by saying I continue to think that our advertising revenue can grow significantly, double digits year over year. But as a percentage of the whole pie of our revenue and profitability, it will become smaller if, I'm, if we're successful. I think Forbes, you know, you said a lot of media companies, you know, want to go out and try to diversify um, into other non-media related things. This is where having you know, a 100-year history and having a brand that's as iconic as Forbes uh, really becomes valuable. And in uh, international communities around the world, and particularly where there are emerging economies, which is why we've been able to launch 
30 additional issues of Forbes around the world. Forbes is well-known worldwide. People know that the the brand stands for being champions of entrepreneurship. And is that because people are trying to get on, on the billionaire list or I, is well, it an aspirational the, kind of thing in some of these markets? I think so. Well, it's aspirational. And, you know, not everybody – there are only 1,500 billionaires in the world. So um, whether it's our under 30, 30 under 30 initiative, which is really taking off here and around, around the world, or any of our, our other lists, those are front and center in terms of being a, an icon – but having that name recognition and being known as the champions of success and what people do with their success when they've achieved it gives us the ability to have a powerful brand name that can work in some of these other these other sectors. If you're, you know, uh, a, a startup and and you've got a nice little media business, but nobody really knows who you are and what you stand for, and you don't have that kind of iconic status that that Forbes does, I think it'd be harder. So, so you mentioned, obviously, sort of the, the legacy brand and, I guess, the the equity and the power that that, that mm-hmm. comes with. But I guess, to some extent, you're also sort of a, a legacy company. And you compared yourselves early, earlier to a startup, mm. uh, which I guess a lot of publishing companies do these days, but it's easier said than done. Um, so I'm just kind of interested how you, I guess, sort of structure the company to sort of capitalize on some of these opportunities. Well, when, I ta- when I talk about being a startup, no one wants to really structure their company as a startup because that Maybe means exactly. going back to, to, squ- to square one. But our culture is one of innovation and can-do and ambition. Free seltzer. Yeah. <laughs> M&Ms, all, all the startup things. Ping, ping pong, pong. You know, all the rest. Yeah. And we do have all those things. And I think <laughs> we've got to, as a result, have a, a very young culture. And I think that's also been reflected in who we cover uh, as best best indicated by who's on the cover of the magazine and what, we, what we're covering on Forbes, Forbes.com. But um, culturally, we don't think of ourselves as a legacy company. We think of ourselves as a a reborn uh, business that has the added advantage of being someone everybody knows. And we, if that's what legacy means, we we really embrace that. Um, I, you know, when you watch uh, the movies these days or any day, for you know, you, the shortcut to showing that someone's successful is the proverbial sort of spinning Forbes magazine that lands on the coffee table <laughs> and it's got Iron Man or The Wolf of Wall Street or, you know, you name it. As you're on the cover of Forbes magazine, you've you've succeeded. You, you've arrived. Well. Wolf of Wall Street was in the '90s, though. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, Iron we, Man was a couple years. But I, but is the modern ago. version of that, you know, a spinning Facebook Live thing from Forbes? I, I guess. Well, no, I, I think I think regardless of the 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 fact that we're. You know, 80% of our advertising revenue now comes from from digital. Our audience is 6.8 million in uh, off of print and 45 million um, in on Forbes.com. But that that cover as the front door to our brand is really it really resonates. And uh, even though it's dispro- disproportionate to the relationship between the numbers, it's really, it's it, people people know us for it. When, when you're um, talking about sort of your digital business, one thing that we haven't talked about yet is just so much of media consumption happens outside of Forbes.com, I would imagine, for, mm-hmm. you know, on your, on your Facebook page. Um, I'm not sure if Forbes is on Snapchat, but, but maybe mm-hmm. uh, Twitter, uh, Google, on, Google on, on these outside platforms. Um, because you've constructed your, your, your company to, it seems, rely 
a lot on on people uh, you know going to Forbes.com and growing mm. that. Do, do you do you view it that way, or do you view it as you know we? Want to fish where the fish are more, and and we're going to be on all these platforms and go big on, you know, instant articles and, and on Facebook and some of these other programs. There's several stages to that that one, Stephen. You know, we, we even in sort of mid digital, you know, adolescence uh, of the last several years, because I think things are advancing very quickly. Um, people typing in Forbes.com and going to Forbes.com was, is a tiny percentage of our t- overall traffic. Our traffic comes from referral. It comes from search. It com- and those are much – those are, those are better uh, – it's better traffic for us in, in many ways because there's an implicit endorsement that comes with it. I think as the next couple of years unfold, as you guys are no doubt experiencing here at the Journal and other people that you've talked to are indicating, it's going to be distributed. Content is going to be dis- di- distributed content. We'll create the content. We'll certainly make it available to people on Forbes.com, but it's going to migrate quickly to Facebook and to Google and to Snapchat and to other the other areas that that you described. Does that worry you? I mean, are there certain platforms that um, you know you're more reliant on than others? Uh, you know, I think worry is is a constant in the disrupted <laughs> world that we live in. I think there was a time in media, you know, where you know somebody worked at at, at uh, uh, Time Inc. and their uh, day was very narrowly defined and didn't change week in, you know, month in, year out. Um, we have to worry about everything these days if we're going to keep current and we're going to keep um, innovating and don't f- don't want to find ourselves back on our on our heels. So when a big change comes along, like this dramatic shift to mobile, which just makes all the sense in the world, the distributed content um, future that's clearly coming, we worry about it and we channel that worry into innovation and to experimentation, and hopefully we come up with solutions that allow us to continue to triumph. <laughs> All right. Well, that was Forbes CEO Mike Perlis. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Uh, That's going to wrap it up for the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Thank you for listening. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.